to this message, you will be challenged and encouraged through God's Word. Here at Heart Seas Family Life Church, it has always been our desire to see people's lives totally impacted and changed. His Word promises to accomplish that. For more information in regards to our church, you can call us at 225-274-1607 or visit us on the web at www.hflc.us. We look forward to hearing from you. Be blessed now as you listen to God's Word. absolutely thrilled. We're absolutely delighted and glad that you made the choice to be here today. We know there are many other choices. There's many other great churches here in town and we pray for those and we want to see their success and we want to see them because we're not uh, against each other. We're fighting on the same side and we're supporting them in their cause and we're building the kingdom of God. You know, God didn't send me to be a pastor to build his church. God sent me to build his kingdom. And it's not just about this church, it's about the kingdom of God. And we, we're glad of that. But you know what? We really truly believe and know that this is a safe place for you and your family. Not safe in, safe in the regards of, for security reasons, we do everything that we can. But also safe in regards to the fact that you're going to hear the truth from God's word. You're not going to maybe hear what you want to hear, but you're going to hear what you need to hear. You're going to hear God's word and it's going to be able to challenge your life. There's a lot of fluff and stuff out there. Anyone like cotton candy? Cotton candy is a whole lot of fluff and stuff. If you put it in your mouth, it doesn't take long just to go to a sugary liquid or whatever, just a sugary mess. That's what a lot of Christianity presents now, cotton candy religion. It looks good and it's fluffy and stuffy, but you know what? When it gets in your mouth, there's not a lot lot of substance. And you know the problems with fluff and stuff? You know the problem with that? That when problems arise in your life and struggles and trials come, You know what? There's not going to be enough there to see you through. You need the Word of God. You need to make it. David said this, my heart guides me through the night seasons. We need the Word of God to guide us because there are seasons of night that we will go through in our lives, of darkness, of trials and tribulations. And we've got to have a foundation to build our lives upon. And that's why for this whole month we've been talking about back to basics. Talking about back to to the start, going back that we can have an understanding from God's word to help us through life. You know what? We've got a saying in our house, and that is this. Life is not fair, but God is good. Say that with me. Life's not fair, but God is good. There's a lot of times we have to say that to our kids because they say these words a lot. That's not Come on, you all know you say it. But that's not fair. Come on, let's say it how the kids say it. They don't say it like that. But that's not fair. Come on, any parents in the house? And some of you are looking at your big kids too that are still saying that. You know, the ones that are 25 and and up, they're still, but that's not fair. You know what? Life is not fair. But God is good. And that's what we've got to build our lives upon. The anchor of our souls. The fact of the goodness and the mercy and the greatness of our God. And that's what we're going to look again today. To put an anchor into your lives. That when life is not fair, because it's not. 
But despite it all, God is good and God is able. So look again with me to Matthew 13, beginning in verse 3. Actually just two verses, 3 and 4, talking about the parable of the sower. God is the sower, the seed is the word of God, and the soil is our heart. The type of ground or heart that we have. Then Jesus spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Therefore, before it was even able to take any kind of root, the Bible says the seeds were eaten up. What did that mean? Jesus explained that in verse 18 and 19, and he says, Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of God or the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away that which was sown in his heart. This is the one who receives by the wayside. Jesus says, therefore, because of understanding, or lack of understanding, not understanding, the word of God is taken away from our hearts. We want to make sure as a church, That we are giving you the understanding that you need to make it through your life. We don't want the word of God to be snatched away. We don't want the word of God to be taken from your life. But rather we want it to take root. We want it to take hold that it's going to grow, that it's going to develop, that it's going to build. Now obviously in four weeks there's no way that we can give you all the understanding that you need. But what we've tried to do is to give you the foundation. The platform to build your understanding or faith upon. Truths of life. The first truth we looked at, what, three, four weeks ago was God. The fact of who God is. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God. We've got to first believe that phrase before we can believe anything else that goes beyond that. If we can't believe in God, then we can't believe anything else. A God that's always been and always been there, that doesn't have a creator. He is the creator. We talked about who is God. We looked at God's plan for mankind. We looked at the fall of mankind. And last week we presented to each one of you the effect of sin. And how sin still wants to affect our lives on a daily basis. Basis And how we are born now with a sin nature. The ability to sin sometimes is easier to do than the ability to do right. You don't have to teach a kid how to lie or to say no. You've got to teach them to tell the truth and to say yes. Why? Because of the sin nature. The flesh versus the spirit. And then last week we also began to look at God's solution to sin. Heaven's best Jesus Christ, that was given for every one of us, who Jesus is. And today we're really going to continue that thought, but also look at what our response needs to be. You see, Jesus came to be Lord or to be the Savior of the world, but we have to accept him as Savior and Lord. So the effect of sin can be broken, but we've got to accept that into our lives. So we're going to look today at what happens when we accept our response to Jesus and what it needs to be and what happens as a result of receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So we're going to go on a journey again 
today. And I pray that you've got your notepads, I pray you've got your pens out and you're jotting down these. You can go online on our media page, you can listen to these, they're podcasts, you can download them to your iPad, your iPod, or if you're not really cool, your MP3 player, whatever you've got, and you can do that. The problem of sin had such an effect upon mankind. Sin's effect wasn't just eating an apple. It was separation from God. And we discussed that last week. But it was such a huge effect that there was no way that it could be ignored. It couldn't be swept under the carpet. It couldn't be turned away from. It was such a huge effect that it had to be paid. The price of sin had to be paid. The sin debt demanded a payment that only one could give. We're going to look first, if we could today, in the Old Testament. We're going to look at what was the payment or the covering for sin in the beginning of God's Word. If you would, look at Leviticus 17 verse 11. A lot of you probably couldn't even find that, probably don't even know that's in the Bible, but it is. Leviticus 17 11, and you can follow on the screen with me, and it says this, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. What does that mean, Pastor Philip? It means this. In the Old Testament, God ordained that the shedding of innocent blood could pay the penalty for sin. A penalty that all owed. But here is what happened in the Old Testament. They would have every year what was known as the Day of Atonement. Once a year, they would have the Day of Atonement. Someone once said atonement like this, at one meant with God. I like that. At one meant with God. Atonement was God's way of bringing mankind what sin had separated, bringing him back, joining him back to God. Sin separated, but atonement brought mankind back. So what would happen in the Old Testament or the old times was this. Once a year, the high priest would go before the presence of God on behalf of all of the children of Israel. With him, he would take a bull and he would also have two goats. Now you can read all of this in Leviticus chapter 16 and I encourage you to read through this. And I'm not going to go into great detail of it all, but just paint a generalized picture. The priest would put on special clothing. He would stand before the presence of God, offering up the bull first as a sin offering on behalf of himself and his family that he could stand in the presence of God. He would take the blood of that bull and he would go into the holies of holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant, where the two cherubim with their wings outstretched, stretched over what was called the mercy seat of God. The mercy seat was where God's presence would dwell. The Bible says at night it was a pillar of fire and in the day it was a pillar of smoke. That would come and rest right upon the mercy seat between the cherubim, the ark of the covenant. That was where God's presence dwelt. 
the high priest would come in with the blood of the sin offering and he would sprinkle it upon the mercy seat seven times. Seven being God's number of completion, that it's finished, that it's done. He would then kill the goat and he would take its blood and some of the blood of the bull and he would then sprinkle it around the altar, the place of sacrifice where the children of Israel would bring their sacrifice. He would place it upon the horns of the altar. He would sprinkle it all around. Now, in your minds, are you getting the picture that I am getting? It was a bloody mess. There was blood everywhere. They were sprinkling it. It was everywhere. Why was that? Because it had to show the awfulness and the decay and the filthiness of sin. It was to show the image of what sin was. It was awful. It was detestable. But then what he would then do... He would take the second goat that was known as the scapegoat. And what the priest would do is he would take that goat still alive and he would place his hands upon the head of that goat. And upon that goat he would speak every transgression, every sin, every failure, every mistake of the people. He would transfer that upon the goat. And then someone was assigned to take that goat to the edge of the camp, and then release it into the wilderness. That was the Day of Atonement that was done once a year, that a sin sacrifice was made, and a scapegoat was released, taking away the iniquities or the sins of mankind. Now obviously from what I've just told you, a sacrifice could only cover, it could never remove. It was a blood that covered. In the Old Testament, the atonement covered the sins. A blood of an animal could not redeem mankind, but it paid the price. God demanded that, and up to that time, that was what was required to cover the sins of humanity. People would bring their sacrifices, and they would offer them up as a covering of their sins. But as we look forward into the New Testament or the new covenant that God gave, we see something different. Christ's atonement. When Jesus died upon the cross for each one of us, it did not just cover our sins. It washed away and removed every sin. He became our sin offering. He did not become sin. Listen to me. And we said this last week. Jesus did not die a sinner. If he would have died a sinner, he would not have fulfilled the price that God demanded. It had to be a perfect lamb, spotless, without spot or wrinkle. It had to be completely perfect. And the only one who was perfect, the Bible says, was Christ alone. That he was perfect. 
So he became sin. He took our sin. Just like the priest would lay hands upon that goat and transfer. He took every one of our sins when he hung upon a cross. And he cried out some incredible words that says, It is finished. In the original Greek language, it's tetelestai. It's an old accounting term. That if I owed a debt, and when I paid it, they would stamp on the payment or the slip, tetelestai, which says, Payment paid in full. So when Jesus died on a cross, I've got to say this, it's not in my notes today. He did not, he was not killed, he gave up his life. Because they tell you, and you notice in yourself, when you get weak and you go for times, you know, when our kids came back from youth camp, hardly any of them could speak because they were tired. They'd used their voices so much. But one of the first thing that goes when you get weak and tired is your voice. That you get weak and you get tired. But you notice the Bible says the last thing that Jesus did when he hung upon a cross, he cried out with a loud voice. It is finished. And then he committed his life into the hands. Man could not take his life. He laid down his life. He laid down his life. The shedding of innocent blood paid the price. Jesus became our perfect sacrifice for our sin. I'm so glad about that. I'm glad that the sins I've committed are not just covered because you know something that's covered can be uncovered. Something that's covered over can be revealed again. I thank God that there may have been some skeletons in my closet and people may judge me according to them. But the God, the creator of the universe, he does not see those things anymore. Because of the day of atonement. Because of the spotless lamb that died upon the cross. He did away with my sins. He did away with your sins. Don't carry the guilt of sin that God can remove and has. Look what it says in Ephesians 5 verse 12. And we walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. It's sweet and smelling aroma for what reason? Because it was a sacrifice that was acceptable. It was a sacrifice that went up to heaven. It was a sacrifice that God says, that's paid the price. And as I was preparing this message, I wrote down this thought on my notes. And I said, wow, I'm so glad that Jesus paid the price. Because if he hadn't, I'd be broke. I'd be broke. Man, you imagine how many bulls and lambs and sheep and turtle doves you would have to have bought in your life. Come on, do I hear an amen? Amen. I mean, we could have had the biggest herds and now we're stealing from someone else because there's nothing left. But I'm glad that he paid the price, that you and I don't have to come to church today with a bull and sacrifice it. All it could do was cover. But we can walk in here today with boldness, with a confidence. Yes, we've maybe done wrong, but we can throw our hands in the air and say, because of your work, because of what you've done, I am perfect in you. What can wash away my sins? Nothing. But the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus is, was, and forever will be God's solution to the problem called sin. Romans 5 verse 8. But God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for 
us. What the blood of bulls and goats could only cover, the cross went back and paid the price too. Do you realize that? That the cross not only means that from that time forward, but it went back for everyone who was righteous and lived before that. That God went back to paradise, a place where the righteous souls would go, but yet a place that Satan still had control over. And God went back to that place and said, I tell you what, Satan, I'm stealing your keys. Come on, everyone's got keys to their house. Satan doesn't. Satan doesn't even have keys for his own house because Jesus took them. Jesus took them. And the Bible says he led captivity captive. He took those who were captive. He led them out and he took them to be with him. I wish I had more time to go through it all. But I'm telling you, when Jesus died upon the cross and he said it's finished, Satan no longer has power over mankind. Satan no longer. Up to that time, he had power to will and do what he wanted. But now, That power has been broken in his life. In Christ's death and resurrection, Jesus totally destroyed Satan's dominion and his works. He took back the authority. And there's not a power struggle. I'm glad about that. There's not a power struggle. There's not a fight that Satan's saying, I'm better and I'm this and I'm that. There is no power struggle. Oh, there's a struggle within every one of us. Why? Because of the sin nature. But if we'll surrender our lives over to God, He's the one that's able to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond. Look what it says in Colossians 2 verse 13 through 15. And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him having forgiven you all trespasses, having them wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken them out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them. The handwriting on the wall. The handwriting, that which was our sins, our debt, our payment. Jesus took that. And you know what they would do in the olden times if there was a debt that someone would come? Like say, for example, Andrea had a debt. What the people would do is they would evict her or take her possessions and they would put a knife or a nail and they would drive into her home or her door and there would be a list on there of everything that she owed and everything that was against her. And what could happen in that case was this. Someone could come along and say, I'm going to pay that price. And what they would do is they would fold that piece of paper or that skin over. And then they would drive a knife or nail through it that it would be sealed. And they would write their name on it. That's the picture of Jesus Christ. The penalty that we could not pay. He came and he folded it over and he stamped upon it. And he says, I will take that payment once and for all. And what did he do? He disarmed, I love that, he disarmed Satan, the principalities and powers, and he made a public spectacle of them, and he triumphed over them. That doesn't paint a picture to me of someone who's kind of questioning what's going on. That's someone who knows what's going on. Do I hear an amen? That's someone who's done it, paid it in full. And the only power that Satan has over you and I today is this, It's the power of persuasion. The only power that Satan possesses over you and I today is the power of persuasion. 
In other words, he has the power to try to manipulate you into doing something, but he has no power to force you to do that. So when you turn around and say, it wasn't my fault, I sinned. Hey, sorry, it is your fault because Satan can't make you sin. He can give you the thoughts and he can paint out a big picture. But you and I are the ones that choose to actually engage in that sin. Come on, he suggests it and we're the ones that do it. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, be sober or self-controlled, be vigilant, be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, notice how God writes the words of Satan. He's your adversary, which means he's your opponent. It doesn't say the one who is victorious over you. It doesn't say the one who's the Lord over you. It's the one who's in the ring with you. It's the one who is equal to you. It's the opponent. It's the one who's right there. What does the Bible say? He's the devil and he walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Can I tell you today, he's not even a roaring lion. Thank you. The Bible says he's like one. There's a big difference between being one and like one. There's, some, there's a little stand up the street right here that has a sign that says Egyptian silk sheets, 600 thread count. Anyone seen that? Wow, $20 for a set of those. But if you would look at the small print above, it's like. Egyptian 600 thread count sheets. How many knows that like makes a massive difference? Satan is like a roaring lion. It doesn't say a vicious eating lion. He's a roaring lion. Why? Because that's all he can do is make some noise because he ain't got no teeth because Jesus kicked him out of his mouth on the cross. He has the appearance of. And that's how he fools every one of us through persuasion. By making us doubt God. And if he can convince us that he still has the power, guess what? We begin to believe that he still has authority and control. But I've got to tell you one more time again, he doesn't and I don't care what he tells you. Someone said, when Satan lying, when his lips are moving. I don't care what he tells you. He does not have power. And if he thinks he does, say to him, Satan, show me your keys for your house. He doesn't have no power. Don't believe the lie. He can't do it. Have you ever been told by Satan that I'm going to kill you? Have you ever felt the powers of darkness come so strong that they want to take you out? The reality is this. If Satan could have killed you, he would have by now. Satan cannot kill you. Satan cannot. Why? Because of the atonement. Why? Because the price was paid. Why? Because you are in Christ Jesus. Come on, MC Hammer said, you can't touch this. God sang that song a long time ago. Can't touch this. Come on, you need to look at the devil every day and say, hey, look, but you can't touch this. Come on, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Now, because of Jesus Christ, God's perfect solution. My sins are no longer covered. They've been paid for. They've been removed. They've been taken away. But what must you and I do to find ourselves in that place? We've got to do four things. Turn to your neighbor and say four things. Number one, here it is. Believe in Jesus Christ. 
You've got to believe in Jesus Christ. Without faith or without belief, the Bible says it's impossible to be pleasing to God. You will read that in Hebrews. But what we've got to understand is this. Guess what? That we've got to believe in God. One day when Paul and Silas were in prison, God shook the prison. The jailhouse rocked. And the doors were opened. And God wrought a wonderful victory that day. And you know one of the greatest miracles that day was every prison door opened and not one prisoner escaped. That's a miracle. But the leader of the jailer, he fell on his knees and he cried out. And he said to them these words from Acts 16 verse 30 and 31. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas said to him, you've got to just do this. You've got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and your household. Now, you've got to understand this. I believe there's a lamp for a house. I believe in household salvation. I believe God wants to save your families. And I believe from this scripture we see this. However, the thing you've got to notice is as a parent, I cannot be the salvation for my children. They have to have that encounter with God. But when it says me and my household, here's what I believe. There should be such a change in me that my children, my family, those around see it in me. And they realize it's not a fad or just a fashion. It's a new lifestyle. And as a change of lifestyle, guess what? It's going to affect those around me. It's going to have an effect upon them. And I believe they will be saved as a result of the change that they see in every one of our lives. To believe in Jesus is not as hard as many people make. You don't have to even know much about Jesus. All you've got to say is, God, I believe that you're the answer to my problems. Really, believing in God is just coming to the realization that you can't do it on your own. That I can't do it on my own. You don't even have to know where he was born and how he was born and what took place. All you've got to do is realize that he was born to be your saviour. That he was born to be your redeemer. And all you've got to do is cry out to him. I'm so glad that these four things can be done in just one word, Jesus. Because when someone's in a car accident or someone doesn't have the time to go through all these things and pray and do all these things. Aren't you glad that just the name of Jesus can cover everything for us? That in the name of Jesus is everything that we need. But first we've got to believe. The second thing we've got to do is we've got to confess our sins. 1 John 1 verse 9, if we confess our sins, I love this. He is faithful and just to cover our sins. No, to forgive us for our sins and to cleanse us from all. Say that with me, all. In the Greek, that's all. In the Hebrew, that's all. In any language, it's all. What does it mean? Everything. He is able to forgive us from all of our sins. All unrighteousness. Look at Romans 10 verse 9, just in case you missed the first one. If you confess your mouth with your mouth, the Lord Jesus Christ, and you believe in your heart that as God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's nothing there that says you've got to have it all together. Come on, all it says is you've got to believe and you've got to cry out and say, God, I'm a sinner, would you help me? Would you help me? Would you help me? 
Come on, we've got to place our faith in the one who does have it all together. The third thing we see is the Bible says that we then need to turn from our wicked ways. We need to repent. Repentance, the word repent means 180 degrees, not 360, because if you went 360, you'd be back right where you started. It's 180. It's to turn the other way. If I'm trying to go to Lafayette and I'm going whatever direction I need to go on the interstate, is it west on I-10 or whatever one it is? If I'm going west on I-10 and I'm trying to get to New Orleans, how many knows I'm going the wrong way? I'm going towards Lafayette. I'm not going to get to New Orleans. So what needs to happen? I need to repent. I need to turn and go completely what? The opposite direction so I can hit my intended target. That's what repentance is. Coming to a God that says, I believe God that you're able. I don't know how, but I'm believing you. I'm confessing and saying, God, I need you. Now, God, I pray that you would give me the strength to make a turnaround in my life. That I will go the opposite direction. And God will give you the strength to do that. What else do we see? The fourth thing is then we accept and receive him as Lord of our lives. I thank God he's Savior. But he has to be Lord. I'm going to say that again because two people got it. Thank God he's Savior. But he has to be Lord. Everyone wants a saviour. Everyone wants to be saved. But the problem with many people is they don't want to come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. They want to still live their lives how they please and do what they want to do. Sorry, that ain't working. If you want to be saved, he's now in control of your life. What if he wants to make me do something I don't want to do? I hear that all the time. How do you know that it's not what you want to do? Don't you think the God who created you is going to make you do what he created you to do? So don't sell yourself short and say, well, what if God will make me do this or that? Hey, he's going to make you and open up your life to the fullest potential that you could ever dream of in your life. But you know what? Every one of us needs to be stretched. A rubber band doesn't fulfill its potential until it's stretched. God may stretch us, but he's stretching us in the right way, not to break us, but to make us. So we've got to receive him as Lord. We're bought with a price. We're not our own. We belong to him. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. So I'm glad today, whoever you are, your sins can be removed. Why? By believing in God. Saying, God, I need your help. By repentance and by receiving him as Lord and Savior. But that's not the end. Can I show you the result of doing that? Can I show you quickly the result of what happens through that faith, belief, that confession, that repentance and acceptance? I want to show you today some things. And if you want to get up and run around, you can do that. You can just high five people while we're going through this because this is some good stuff. This is some good stuff. You know what happens in my life? Number one, here's the first thing. There's forgiveness. Come on, there is forgiveness in my life. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven, I'm forgiven. There's that scripture again, if we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us. How many are glad today that you're forgiven? 
Come on, I, I mean, you should be so glad today that you are forgiven, that He has cleansed you from all unright. There's nothing better than the feeling of forgiveness. I remember as a kid, you know, we did some wrong stuff. I know you find that hard to believe when you look at me because you see me with my halo and my wings and you just think I was just the greatest angel. But you know what? We did some mischievous stuff. We did some stuff. You know, we even lied some as kids. I, mean, I don't know about you, but I mean, we did some tough tough stuff. But I remember what it was like when you were forgiven for the wrong that you did. Man, you felt so good. And you know what we often said? Wow, we got away with that one. It was forgiveness. I know the other side too. Anyone know the other side of the equation? The five finger ministry, the the hand of God that was my father that would be laid heavily upon us. I know that feeling too. But what a feeling it was to be forgiven. A lot of times when you lead someone to Christ and they get saved, it's like they say, wow, I feel so good. It feels like a weight has just been lifted off of me. Come on, there's nothing that can do that like the forgiveness of God. Come on, say with me today, I'm forgiven. Come on, say it like you mean it today. I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And it gets better than that. Are you ready? Here's the next one. Hold on to your chairs. Put your seatbelts on. We're on for a ride. Not only are we forgiven, our sins are washed away and they are removed forever. They are removed forever. Psalms 103 verse 12, as far as the east is from the west. I'm glad he didn't say as far as the north is from the south. Because there's something about the north and south. They meet. You can only go so far on the globe till north till you end up going south. Come on, they meet. But you can go east and keep going east and keep going east and keep going east and you'll never go west. They never meet. You'll just keep going round and round and round. Why did Jesus do that? I'm telling you why he said those words. Because he doesn't waste words in his Bible. He's telling us that my sins or your sins have been put in a place that they never should make contact back with you again. Why? Because they are gone so far apart that it is even humanly impossible to find That place. He has removed, as far as he has removed our transgressions from us. The Bible tells us that he puts our sins in the sea of forgetfulness. It's not just a figment. It's not a fairy tale image of a little sea with little unicorns and all these things dancing around. It's a real place. And you know what? He throws our sins in there and he posts a sign that says no fishing. No fishing. It's in a place. He doesn't only forgive, but God forgets. He doesn't only forgive, but He forgets. There's only two people that can remember your sins. You and Satan. And whoever you've told. You and Satan. How many times do we go to God and talk to Him about things that He's clueless about? You've got to hear that. God is clueless about your sin if it's under the blood. But Satan will throw it back. For what reason? Satan wants to put you into condemnation. He makes, wants you to feel guilty for that. He wants you to be held trapped to those things. Come on. He wants to bring it all up. God's forgotten it. It's buried. It's done away with. It's gone forever. So don't bring it back up. 
Live in that freedom. Live in that forgiveness. Live in God. Why? Because Romans 8 verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who, notice this, don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If we're going to walk in the flesh, the natural, we're going to be convicted, we're going to feel those things, we're going to have condemnation in our lives. But when we walk in God and receive what He has done, there is no condemnation. Come on, we can choose to take it back upon ourselves. But we would be fools because God has taken it. You know, we've said this statement so many times, but it's a good one and it bids repeating. When Satan comes and reminds you of your past, start reminding him of his future. Come on, start reminding him of his future. Why? Because you don't have a past. In God, your past is forgiven. And you know what you can do? Start reminding him not only of his future, but start reminding him of your future. Because now you have a future in God. I'm almost done. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is good stuff. Look him square in the eyes and say, you better be getting this. And if he's not your Savior and Lord, come on, turn to your neighbor and say, and if he's not your Savior and Lord, you would be a fool. That's right, a fool not to accept him. Did you hear about the atheist, by the way? Just a quick story. You heard about the atheist that went to the judge and complained that there was no national day for atheism? The judge looked him square in the eye and said, oh yes, there is. It's called April the 1st. It's fool's day. Why? Because the Bible says in Psalms 14 verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Don't be a fool. Don't be a fool today. What else happens? We're almost finished. Look at this. We become children of God. We're God's kids. We are God's kids. I'm a son of God. You're a daughter of God if you're a woman. We're sons and daughters of God. Thanks, Trey. Trey laughed for me. That was just a thank you. John 1 verse 12 says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become his children. Children of God, to those who believe in His name. Come on, when we got saved, we were adopted into a family, a family that wants us, a family that loves us, a family that wants to be there with us. Come on, we're God's children. So today, maybe you don't have a mother and father. You maybe don't have a husband or wife. You maybe feel alone. As you make that confession to Christ, guess what? You now become part of God's family, an awesome family. You're not alone. You're part of the greatest family on the face of the earth. You know what else happens? We have a brand new start in life. You've got a new start in life. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old things have passed away. And behold, all things have become new. You're a new person. You may have to deal with some of the consequences of the past. But guess what? It's a new you now that deals with those. You've got a fresh start. You've got a fresh hope. It's a new beginning for your life. It's a new opportunity for you to make the right decisions and choices for your life. And two more. We have abundant life. 
through receiving Christ, we have abundance. John 10.10, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. That doesn't mean a mere existence. That means a surplus. That there is such a life that life can be full, that life you can live to the max. Why? Because when Christ is your Savior, he gives you an abundant life. And last but not least, not only do we have abundant life, we have eternal life. We have eternal life. With God in heaven. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The problem of sin only created the solution for sin. And that solution is, was, and forever will be Jesus Christ. It's a solution that you and I have the choice to receive. Remember when we talked about the fact that man has a choice? We have a choice. You have a choice today. And I pray today that your choice is Jesus. When we make that choice, are we always going to be perfect and do everything right? No. Is there still going to be some struggles and hardships? You better believe it. But guess what? We have a friend for life. We have a friend that will stick with us, a friend that will help us through. We have a redeemer. We have a savior. We have a God. So over this past month, we've presented to you the basics of Christianity, presenting to you the fundamentals of our spiritual walk. And I encourage every one of you to embrace that, to grab a hold of that, and to accept Jesus Christ. And let him be Lord and Savior of your life. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? We would like to thank you for listening to this message today. We pray that your life has been challenged by what you've heard. But we also know it will be changed as you put God's word into effect. At Heartsease Family Life Church, our doors are always open to help. If you need any more information or just a friend to listen, we are here. Call us at 225-274-1607 or email us at pastorp at hflc.us. Remember, put God first in your life and everything you do will prosper. We look forward to seeing you soon. God bless.